This episode of the Fusion Underground is brought to you by the number three and the letters F-U. Emperor, we come for you. And we're back for another episode. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. Here we are. Lo and behold. So why the number three? Why not? It just came to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Okay. Well, I can go with that. W- weren't Good you a Sesame Street kid? Didn't you grow uh, up watching Sesame? Okay. Well, have then, see. No idea. <laughs> I I am still a Sesame Street. Matter of fact, I I need to get my old um my vinyls from my mom mm-hmm. she was going to give me a couple of them because i have the full song collection of big bird and cookie monster on vinyl yes i was a sesame street fan you know, I have a friend that just told me that he is becoming a vinyl hobbyist i guess it's it's like making this really odd kind of comeback yeah, and apparently there's all kinds of technology in, in, involved that I have no idea what it means. Yeah, that's... but he's an audiophile. He's been an audiophile for a long time, and yeah. so you know he he was telling me about. It. I'm like, that's very cool. I, well, I I don't I wouldn't know anything about it, but he's like a total audiophile. Like he mm-hmm. owns a ton of music. He loves. He just loves listening to music. He's always listening to music. So it makes sense. Like when he told me, I was like, oh yeah, why didn't? You? And I thought I thought for a second. I thought, well how come you haven't done it before? Like, <laughs> you know, because knowing who he is, I'm like, well, of right. course. Well, it, a big part of it, I, th- I think anyway, you know, there's been a lot of people who collect vinyls um, mm-hmm. and, you know, keep them up and look at, go yard sale hunting for them, blah, blah, blah. But they're actually releasing or re-releasing albums brand new on vinyl now. Right, right. Um, I mean, it's I mind blown, blown away. And it's, yeah. Yeah, and they're not cheap, but I don't know. Wow, I, I, I mean, are they like twenty bucks? What? Are, oh no, know. no. I mean, I went and saw. Like there was a when I was looking around. I think I told you I was looking for a CD for mm-hmm. a Christmas gift for someone, and I actually came across a lot of vinyl. And so, like albums, like oh, I don't know, Queen or I pick somebody, David Bowie, mm-hmm. the Black Sabbath, doesn't matter. I mean, they're like. Forty nine ninety five, like fifty bucks. Oh, wow! For an album on oh, vinyl, so um, you really have to approach this like a hobby. Yeah, no, you have to want it. It's yeah. Well, and and for so long, and I don't know if you ever shopped music, but I used to go like to. They actually had like CD stores. I know there was one in oh, yeah. Tucson. It was just tower. That's records. all it was. Well, and there was like a PDQ. I think mm. is what it was down there, and Zia's. so it had a lot of yeah, Zia's music and all that. <laughs> I remember those. Uh-huh. But you, you know, you could get a brand new CD for twenty bucks. You know, okay. less depending upon if it was somebody who wasn't 
overwhelmingly well known. Mm. I mean, I about lost it when I I bought the uh, Metallica S&M album new mm -hmm. and it was like 30 bucks, you know, but it was two discs and it was awesome. So I was like, yeah, okay, fine. I'll do it anyway. But yeah, it's like 50 bucks for mm. 10 songs. Cause there's only so much space on those things. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting in, in a cool. cool way. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I guess I should, you know, you should uh, intro the show. Before, yeah. Before yeah, we keep I going. should probably uh -huh. do that. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got off on a Sesame Street tangent in which we talked nothing about Sesame Street. Go ahead. Right, right. Oh, crap. I haven't even, I didn't even, you know, because. Because you didn't do, you didn't yes. see what episode we're on. <laughs> season four, I believe. It's season two. four. Episode two, right. right. So we are now on, this is the 40th episode. Oh. It's kind of a landmark. We're coming up on the big 5-0. Yeah. We're coming up on 50. So That's this crazy. is this is season four, our second episode of the season. But out of total episodes, this is episode 40 of the Fusion Underground. And here at the Fusion Underground, what we try to do is we try to make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment, current events, politics, and culture. Our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. I'm your host, Ben Wilmer Ramirez, and I'm joined as always in the virtual studio by my co-host, Jason Moret. And today... We're going to be trying to squeeze in two topics. We're going to just skip all of the other nonsense. We're going to jump right into the two topics. The first topic that we're going to get into is about, uh, well, it's it has to deal with what happened this last week at the Capitol building. Uh, and I, I'm really, I've been really kicking around the, kicking around uh, thinking about the difference between, um, you know, standing up to your government versus sedition. So we're going to get into that a little bit. And then the second topic, is, and I think it segues, particularly how we're going to talk about it, we're going to get into discussing religion. So how's that for an intro? That's an intro. All right. That's a lot cool. to take in. That's a, that is so, a lot to take in. Okay. That is, that is well, a lot to take in. Let's unpack it. I'm sure that will flow together yeah. seamlessly. <clears throat> so... <laughs> So for, for all of those who, uh, you know, all of our two listeners, they may or may not know. <laughs> they, they, they may or may not know that you and I are both uh, Masons. And we, we don't hide oh, that fact. Mm -hmm. No. We don't hide that fact. I mean, hell, most of the time you're wearing some kind of Masonic regalia uh, on, you know. Yeah, right now. I got my cap fact. on now. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, there's a, there's a thing in masonry where, um, where there's this, I guess this, uh, how, how would you, how would you describe it? Um, I don't want to call it a belief, but it's a, a principle that we don't, we don't allow people who are trying to overthrow the government or oh, at least um, belong to an organization who is attempting to overthrow the government. Yeah. That's, that's one of our, I guess, rules, um, in order to be able to be a part of the fraternity or to be considered mm -hmm. to be part of the fraternity. Um, you're, you have to have some sort of fealty to the government to under whose <clears throat> laws you live. Right. Um, and so if you are a part of any organization or anything that, that does seek to overthrow that government, you're basically not going to be considered. Right. Right. You would be blackballed. Correct. Right. Um, and so that got me, that got me thinking, you know, I've been thinking about that all this week. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what if, <clears throat> what if somebody um, who was at the Capitol 
was a Mason or wanted to become a Mason. Okay. Would, would the actions at the Capitol building preclude them from becoming a member of the fraternity? And, and I think there are different, there are several different ways to look at it. Now, the reason why this is coming up is because looking at social media over the last several days, there are people on social media that are just absolutely incensed about what had happened, what has taken place. And there are people on social media and not, and when I, and when I say people, I mean, people, I'm talking a, quite a, quite a few people, um, large numbers of people who are calling for the arrest, the prosecution, uh, the doxing of, and the firing of anybody who was at the national mall on Wednesday. So, because the, the narrative is if you were down on at the National Mall, then you stormed the Capitol building. End of story. That's that's the narrative. And we know that that's not true. There were not tens of thousands of people hanging in, you know, all over in every single room of the Capitol building. I think at most there was like maybe a hundred people. So most of the people that went to the National Mall did not go into the Capitol building, nor mm-hmm. try nor did they try to get into the Capitol building. So why are all of those people all of a sudden guilty? Right. Well, and I would, I would consider that a, what's the proper phrase? I believe it's mostly peaceful protest. Is that right. fair? <laughs> yes. Mostly, mostly peaceful protests. Right. Uh, so I want to kind of unpack some of this because okay. there, as Americans, we do have a right to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And we'll get into some of the definitions here in just a minute, but I'm just kind of laying the stage here. I'm just putting the foundation out there, right? We do have a right in this gu- in this country to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, let's think about that for a minute. One, how do you go about petitioning the government if you have a grievance? How do you do that? Because all we're told is, well, we have a we have a right to petition. Right. Well, some of that right begins by by having enshrined our freedom of speech, our ability to speak out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the ability to uh, you know the right to to gather and to peaceably protest, assemble to peaceably right. assemble, right? Mm-hmm. So that we can start bringing light to what is happening if we have a grievance. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, if anybody has a grievance. How do you think their disposition is going to be? You usually kind of pissy. Yeah, kind of, kind of <laughs> pissy. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna guess to say yeah. it mildly. So if if you have a grievance, you're gonna be pretty po'd. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I I, I want to set that stage now. I think between you and I, I think, and I I don't mean to speak for you, but I think I can in this regard. I think storming the Capitol building, trying to break, uh, break windows and force your way in is not something that we can go- we condone. It's something, no. it's certainly not something that I condone. I know it's something that you would not condone. Had you and I been down at the national mall, we would not have tried to force our way, tried to break into the Capitol building. Correct. And, and I, and when this first happened, I think I made the comment to you that mob 
mentality. Mob justice is absolutely not uh, under Correct. the purview of peaceable assemblage. And the destruction of public or private property in such acts, those people should be held accountable, persecuted, and held fully accountable to the fullest extent of the law. I've said that for about a year now in various situations. So, right. and I believe that. And, and I still stand by that. Right. Um, so, so this is kind of, this is kind of where, where, where we've come around. Now I want people to remember <clears throat> for all of last summer, all of last year, and including just the, over the last few nights, there have been riots predominantly in Portland, Oregon, but there have been riots in other places of the country. Right. And those riots have been largely supported by members of the media. And in fact, they've been largely supported by politicians as well. Correct. I know that, um, yeah. AOC has has supported the riots. Kamala Harris Kamala has Harris actively she, out, right? she she's yeah, participated. She, she actively told people to donate to the various what is it like um, you know GoFundMe pages and stuff mm -hmm. to bail out the rioters. Right. Okay. And these are people that have been attacking federal government as well as, or federal property, as well as private property. They've been burning down their own neighborhoods and such. Um, and we were told for the last eight or nine months now that these are people that are trying to send a message that they're trying to put a spotlight that something is wrong in the country and they're trying to raise awareness. Okay. So, um, Let's assume for the sake of argument that they have some, that they have a grievance. Uh, but again, rioting is not the way to do that, is not the way to go about petitioning the government for redress of grievances, but, you know, peaceably assembling, using your free speech. Absolutely. I right. think you and I are in total agreement with that. Absolutely. And keeping in mind that up until this point and up until recent events, all of these protests have been not only heralded, but defended when literally the cities and, and property are burning to the ground behind them. You have reporters standing there looking the camera and you and me and everybody else in the nation in the eye saying, yeah, but it's mostly peaceful protests. Right. So, you know, listen, listen to, listen to this. This is Chris Cuomo, <clears throat> Chris Cuomo on CNN. Okay. This is Chris Cuomo on CNN. This is what he said several months ago about the BLM and Antifa riots. Now, too many see the protests as the problem. No, the problem is what forced your fellow citizens to take to the streets, persistent and poisonous inequities and injustice. And please show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Okay. Well, the constitution says peaceably assemble. Right. Uh, the Constitution does say that you have the right to peaceably assemble, but you don't have the right to riot. You don't have the right to burn right. your neighbor's business to the ground or burn their homes to the ground. Um, you, you know, another thing that was that was a bit irritating and <clears throat> is there were there were people who were complaining in literally incensed. Their, the social media has been. A, a, a circus. It has been an absolute circus. There have been people that have that were incensed that President Trump did not denounce 
the rioters. I saw one particular post on, on social media where the person said, you know, President Trump couldn't even bring himself to denounce the riots, but they, the same person right in the same exact post had a screenshot from Twitter of the president denouncing, denouncing the violence. The violence. I, I, I don't under, <laughs> I don't understand how that, like, not only that, but when, when the president spoke to that crowd right before they moved on to the Capitol building, mm-hmm. he told them to move on to the Capitol building to go make your voices be heard. But he also told them to remain professional and to not and to remain peaceful at the same time. So he did tell them that. So now, but now we have people that are coming out and saying, well, we need to impeach the president because he incited violence. Well, okay, so now it's it's bad to for a politician to incite violence. Okay, that's if you accept the fact that Trump did incite violence, mm-hmm. even though we know that he didn't. In his own words, he didn't tell them to go storm the Capitol building. He said, please be professional and please be uh, peaceful when you do it. But here's here's a little clip. Listen, listen, listen to this uh, particular politician, what she's had to say about this. Anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Anybody from that cabinet. So, you, you, you know, these last summer we had people telling the protesters get into people's faces. Mm-hmm. We've had protesters, we've had BLM and Antifa go into restaurants and scream at people yeah. to their face, screaming mm-hmm. at them, um, let alone going in and burning down buildings and, and all of that. Um, so why is it that it's okay for one group of people to do it for months, but it's not okay for what happened on Wednesday? Because Wednesday were Trump supporters. Wednesday were conservatives. Wednesday was not, um, it wasn't a leftist movement. That's why. I mean, I mean, you, so you just played a clip of Maxine Waters and everybody's heard that for a long time. Um, And I think I even mentioned to you not long after she said it, it was sometime over, I believe it was over the summer where she was actually confronted by some conservatives and hollered at and talked to. And she felt very uncomfortable and turned around and then threatened the president, or or, um, excuse me, she berated the president for ensuing violence to which that's what she uh, said that these people were out getting upset with her because President Trump encouraged them to do so. I don't know if you remember that, mm-hmm. but that was, I mean, what happened to turn around is fair play. Well, that doesn't happen as soon as you cross the aisle from left to right or vice versa. And I talked to you about this before. It's the, the hypocrisy is absolutely uncanny out of the left-hand side. Um, Listen to this montage 
about this is all from the media. This is from various sources and MSNBC, CNN, etc. But listen, listen to this montage that's that's uh, that's put together here. I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it is not. Uh, it is not generally speaking unruly. That ain't a riot, what we're seeing right now in Minneapolis. They are strictly principled anti-fascists, and they've taken a principled stand to stand against white supremacists and white nationalists wherever they may show up. I argue to you tonight, all punches are not equal morally. It says it right in the name, Antifa, anti-fascism, which is what they were there um, fighting. Listen, there's... You know, no organization is perfect. There was some violence. Any reasonable person would say we shouldn't be destroying other people's property. But these are not reasonable times. Thank goodness for the looters, man. And please show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. I don't care that much about statutes. Respectfully, shouldn't that be done by a commission or the city council, not a mob in the middle of the night throwing it into the harbor? People will do what they do. You're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations that have been burning in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Do not get it twisted and think that, oh, this is some something that has not never happened before. And then this is so terrible. And where are we and these savages and all of that? This is how this country was started. People get mad and people get sick of it. People are risking covid to explain to this country that we're fed up. Most of the major movements in American history have started at the grassroots level and at some point have turned into direct conflict with American government. So remember your history before you judge your present. Thuggishness is thuggishness wherever it comes from politically and and we should be the first to call it out. I disagree. (laughs) Okay. So there we had a a ton of people, including Nancy Pelosi. She was in part of that supercut there Mm -hmm. talking about Mm -hmm. how violence is completely okay. Yep. And and to remember our history and our country was rooted on violence or, you know, began on violence. Right. Um, So the I actually really did like the the one quote that you had in there. Um, Not that you put it together. I understand Um, where he said, you know, our country was formed out of grassroots efforts like this and in our history a lot of these efforts unfortunately at some point usually turn into a lash out against the government so know your history before you get basically indignant about it and i'm paraphrasing slightly because i didn't have it written down but that was an interesting quote so so again you know let's let's be fair here okay Mm -hmm. um if 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 one side, if the media can sit there over months, talk about how well BLM and Antifa, yeah, well there was a little bit of violence, or you know, in in the at the very beginning of that cut, there's you know some the the reporter from MSNBC who's standing in front of a conflagration of buildings that are burning to the ground and saying, well, it's been mostly peaceful, right? Um, y- y- so you have all of this violence that is happening there was just a few months ago there was a retired police chief who was murdered in cold blood on the street during one of these riots murdered literally in cold blood and yet we're supposed to understand that these people have grievances and they're trying to you know well they're just going up against the government because well that's what you do in this country right right so is it are we they're they're tired of it they're taking a stand and they're 
They're risking it all, including COVID, to risking go out all, yes. and take a stand and say enough is enough. Right. And they want their grievances and they want to be heard. That's what we've been told. And that's what we just listened to again. And we've been getting that for the last eight months. Right. Nine months. So, so there are two pieces to this that I, I think we need to break apart. One okay. hand is, is violence acceptable? Because if the answer is no, if you're going to say that the answer to the, that the violence that was committed on Wednesday at the Capitol building was bad, and if you're going to tell me that violence in trying to redress the government of grievances is a bad, okay, let's let's I'm willing to accept that. But at the same time, then you have to look at the last eight or nine months of BLM and Antifa riots and you have to condemn them. If Correct. this is what we, you and I talk about standing yep. on principles and using values to look at things, mm-hmm. you cannot stand, you cannot say to me that somebody is standing on principle when they accept violence in the BLM Antifa movement, but do not accept the violence in the Trump movement at the Capitol on Wednesday. Yep. And and the argument that I've, so this is where I started having a discussion with someone else about this. I'm like, you know, where was, and I I made the point and I I asked the question, where was the outrage? Where was the indignation? Where was the condemnation of the violence and the destruction of public and private property over the last nine months? Where was that? And I realized after a minute that the conversation had really started to spiral out of control because the, the, the honest answer is there's, there isn't any, there wasn't any, but let me be clear, at least now, if I wasn't, then I am not saying that violence or the destruction of public or private property is acceptable. No, period. Anybody who was addressing their grievances at the Capitol building and destroyed property or committed acts of violence should be held accountable for their actions. Sure. Period. Should they be arrested? Yes. Should they be prosecuted? Absolutely. And for every single one of them there Wednesday, I would like to see at least the same amount of people prosecuted and arrested, etc. over the last eight months. There should not be a difference whether I agree with one group, two groups, three groups, all groups at all. Violence and destruction of property is absolutely not acceptable. That is wrong and it should be addressed regardless of your cause. I I had one person tell me on Thursday that the Capitol, what happened at the Capitol was worse because it was the seat of our government. I I heard a similar argument. And, And I thought, wait a minute, you're sacralizing the Capitol building. Do you understand what you're doing? You're there were people on Twitter that were referring to the Capitol building as a temple of yep. democracy in the that I did not use that word. They are using that they word. They use that word. They correct. are use they are calling it a temple of democracy. That is disgusting to me. Yeah. Be, the the, <laughs> the Capitol I've been to the Capitol building. It's a cool building. Yep. I took a picture in front of it. 
I'm like, no, hey, look, check it out. It's gorgeous. It's awe-inspiring, and it and it should actually inspire us as Americans with absolutely a reverence, absolutely and with respect. But you should reverence and respect as an American for the democracy that we have. Absolutely, and it's a beautiful thing, and we should we should um, pay respect to that. We should be respectful of that. Absolutely, but I am not going to take it to a level of religious fortitude no. to then put me on a knee and bowing subjugation yeah. as I would before deity. I'm, I'm not going, there is no way that I'm going to hold the Capitol building of the United States at a higher position in a hierarchy over a, over a religious temple. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that over like a, cath uh, um, a Catholic cathedral building. Okay. I'm right. not going to do that. I was at, I was in Salt Lake a couple of months ago. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and I went down to temple square. I'm not, I'm not LDS, uh, but I had a lot of respect for the architecture and I went down there and I took some pictures. I thought it was really cool. Um, I still would not put the Capitol building over any of the LDS temples. They're religious structures. They're not my religion, but they are religious structures that mean it's something completely different. And, and this is why I wanted to kind of have a conversation with about religion. So there, I think there are two, there are two things at play here with, with respect to the, the retaliation or the, the anger of, of what happened on Wednesday. And that is, is it right to have the violence? And then what does petitioning the government of redresses look like? Because you know what? I'm going to say it again. If people are pissed off and you know what? Let's, let's say for the sake of argument that Black Lives Matter has, um, they have some grievances that they want to petition their government for. Okay. Okay. Yep. For, for the sake of argument, maybe they do. And let's just accept that and say, okay, you do have some grievances. Your voices should be heard if that is the case. And, but how do you go about doing that? Well, you don't burn your neighbor's businesses and, and, and homes to the ground. Yeah, that's um, probably not. Well, that's a great way to get attention. Don't get me wrong. But just like you have a conversation with a four-year-old or five-year-old, um, acting out to get attention doesn't get you the kind of attention you're really looking for. It will get you an immediate attention response. Yes, but is that really what you want? No. So there's better ways to go about this. Everybody's had conversations with a child that way. And when I look at groups like that, unfortunately, that's mostly what we're dealing with. Um, but for the sake of argument, yes, um, we're going to accept the fact that BLM or Antifa or any other groups out there have a grievance that they feel they need their voice to be heard. If rioting is your only avenue, well, you need a better advocate. I'll say that um, there are appropriate ways to do that. So, and I think you've got some ideas already queued up for that. So, well, well, you know, some of the things I was thinking, you know, when we started this whole thing, I, I mentioned that, you know, we were both Masons mm -hmm. and yes, this country, I think a lot of people acknowledge that this country was forged in warfare Sure. That there were revolutionaries here that went against the crown. And, well, <laughs> and some of those revolutionaries were Freemasons, like George Washington, who actually led the Continental Army. Right. 
like Paul Revere, who ran through town screaming, the British are coming, like Benjamin Franklin. Franklin. Mm -hmm. These are men who were Masons. So to my Masonic brothers out there, I would say, how do you square that? How do you square Masons in our own country, in our own fraternity, who had a grievance against their government, which was the King of England at the time, how can we honestly square their violence against their government and their intention to overthrow their government, which they did? Yes. To now having the audacity to say that if men have grievances against their, their government today, that they are not entitled to do the exact same thing that Paul Revere and George Washington and Benjamin Franklin and the Sons of Liberty that were that were Masons did when this country was founded. How can you square those two? Right, right. Well, and keeping in mind, just signing the Declaration of Independence, many of those men, brothers or not, recognize that by signing their name and attesting to the truths they held within, um, listed out on that document. They were, yes, they were signifying their allegiance to a new nation, but also admitting to treason. Um, even Benjamin yes. Franklin said that, um, yes, let's keep in mind, by when you put your pen to paper, um, you're committing treason. If we are not successful in our revolution, then we will surely face the gallows. But yeah. fear not, everyone, for if we don't hang together, we will surely hang separately. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, they were committing treason at the time and they knew it. Now, I think there's a slight difference between what happened last summer between BLM and Antifa and what happened on Wednesday. And I okay. think it's important to recognize it. Uh, I, I think... It is my opinion that the people on Wednesday who went to the National Mall went because they absolutely, and there has been speculation that some of the members who tried storming the Capitol building were members of Antifa or BLM that were yep. kind of, in, in, I don't even want to talk, even if that is true, let's throw them out. Okay. Let's just take the vast 99% of the majority that was there. Okay. Okay. I believe the vast 99% who was act who's at the Capitol building, they were there or at the national mall, I should say, I think they were there because they do love their country. They were waving American flags. Now, hold on. Okay. I think they love their country. I think they want to have a, um, I think they want to take the country back to a lot of its roots in following the constitution as written. Okay. I think they're tired of the government bloat and growth that keeps happening. And I think that was coming to a head, especially after 2020, when you had government literally telling people, no, you can't run your business. No, you can't come out of your homes. No, you can't go to the movie theater. You can't go to a concert. We're cutting, we're shutting all that stuff down. Yes. If you have a Thanksgiving dinner, we're going to come and arrest you. You can't do that for months on end and then expect a people to just say, okay, and certainly not Americans, right. all right? So I think you have one group of people who are, devotely, who are devoted to the country and want to see it go back to a more traditional way 
uh, aligned with the Constitution. In BLM and Antifa, there are many members of BLM and Antifa, I don't know the number, but there are many of them who are in favor of absolute socialism. They admit it. They call for it. They're marching with, with, um, you know, with shields, homemade shields with the, um, the sickle and the hammer and sickle on it for crying out loud. You have people that are literally calling for communism. To me, that seems to be more of a more of groups of people who want to overthrow the government and put in place something completely different than what exists now compared to another group of people last week who said, no, I want to preserve the country as founded. And if you're going to tell me that any of those people cannot be made Masons on Wednesday because they wanted to protect the country as it was founded, then I'll take my Masonic ring off right now because I shouldn't be a part of the fraternity. All right. So there's a handful of things you said there that I just want to kind of pick apart just a little bit. Not because I necessarily disagree with you, but I want to pick at it a little bit. So now you said that you felt that 99.9% of the people, the 10,000 people that were on the mall were American loving. It's my belief. Freedom, love. I know. And I know you believe that. Why do you believe that? you have a, an example or reason or anything to point to just to edify your point? Well, I think it, I think it comes back from a lot of the various individuals that I've been following on social media for the last six, seven months. Um, Brandon Straka, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, several months back, he started a, he started a movement. I can't even call it an organization. It was just simply a, ideological movement which was very simple it was called walk away he was a democrat he saw the the atrocities that were happening from his own political party and he finally realized you know what i can i can no longer be a democrat and he realized that he is a, an individual who believes in the constitution as founded and started just going out and proselytizing to all kinds of different groups and meetups and everything has been crisscrossing the country and getting people to use the hashtag walk away. Brandon Straka was there and tons of people, thousands of people who have walked away from the Democrat party over several months went. So that's a, that's a, a simple example of why I think a vast majority of those people are people who support the country as founded. Right. And, and that's a great example. Um, something I actually pointed out to somebody else in talking about this was, so we were making correlations and I think you're kind of hitting on the same thing, making correlations between different groups. So we've got our, the protest group, and I'm, I'm just going to label them one protest group because there's, seems like there's three or four different little groups that make up a, a vast majority of the protesting alliance, if you will, that have been storming random cities for eight, nine months. Mm -hmm. And then you have a group who congregated at the Capitol. And I actually made a point that I felt like location matters. And to edify that, I'm hearing from various media organizations, just like you're pointing out, um, various members from our own um, government 
who are saying that location does matter. And that's what makes this so egregious is the fact that this was at the Capitol building, at Washington, D.C., at the head of our representative government. Now, if you or I are voicing a grievance, we have a, a bone to pick and we have a valid case, we take it to the center or head of the state or wherever we need to go up the proverbial food chain to the center we take it to the top, right? Well, that's where this is. That's where that grievance gets aired out. If it's a grievance that is needing to be aired out, it's a voice needing to be heard from all of the other groups, the, the other uh, protesting group, why are they in Portland, Oregon? Why are, were they in Minneapolis? Why were they in all of these various cities across the country? Why not go to D.C.? and voice this out for our representative government to hear and then address, right? Well, storming the Capitol building, which is just, it's disgusting, but to me is a vast difference. I mean, let's be honest. If you storm the Capitol building, what's going to happen to you? Secret Service is going to haul your butt out of there. Hopefully, if for your sake, if you comply alive because secret service they are very good at their job and that is Capital protecting police. those people who are there trust me they don't play but now, I will, if you're I, going to storm jewelry stores yeah. and clothing stores and places where you didn't voice a grievance when you went in there with empty shopping or trash bags and loaded up and then ran out that's not voicing a grievance Sorry to say. Do you remember a couple of years ago? It was it was not that many years ago. It was just a few years back when the the left in Wisconsin, in Madison, Wisconsin, they actually occupied their state capitol building for for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. They had sleeping bags. They were sleeping on the floor of the rotunda of the capitol building. Yep. There were hundreds of them in there. Chant what they, were they doing? They were pissed off at their government. Now, they whether or not they their grievances were legitimate, that's a question that needs to be asked. That's a question that needs to be asked of both sides. If BLM and Tifa, Red for Ed, whomever, they're they're protesting, okay, fine. What is your grievance? At least let us have a conversation and determine. Do you actually have a valid grievance or not? You may or may not. Mm -hmm. Is anybody asking whether or not the people last Wednesday had a valid grievance or not? No, nobody has asked that. And again, I'll re I will reiterate, you can't have a year, almost a full year of government lockdown, of governments telling uh, businesses that they cannot operate of closing businesses that attempt to operate. You can't have a year of the governor of New York putting sick patients, sick COVID patients into retirement homes that killed a bunch of retiree people, retired people, and think that that's okay. You can't have, you can't have what happened in California where People are being arrested because they had a party at their house or they had too many people at a Thanksgiving dinner. You can't have months of this happening 
and then have a national election where a good portion of the people that were down there believe that there was fraud at, across many states and that Trump actually won the election. Now, we haven't been able to have that conversation in the public circle because every time people say, can we get an audit? It gets shut down. Can we get an audit over here? Will it get shut? Well, we'll give you a recount. A recount is not the same as an auditing of the vote right. because if the votes are fraudulent to begin with, recounting them is still going to get you the same exact number. So you, so we had people, and I'm not saying uh, you have to understand the people that were there on the mall, they felt this. Mm -hmm. So you have, um, we have almost a year of government lockdown, and then, uh, and then you have a national election where the people felt like the election was stolen in broad daylight, and then you're surprised when they go to the Capitol building and they're pissed off. Yes, and here's why. <laughs> so here's what pissed everybody off about Wednesday, more than the fact that they actually got into the Capitol building, which, one more time, if we haven't made it clear, neither uh, Dr. Manuel Ramirez nor I, Jason Moret, believe in any way, shape, or form that the people that busted into the Capitol building are justified in their actions. I don't believe Neither one of us believe that. We do not believe that. We denounce mm -hmm. that idea. If that has not been clear up to this point, I'm going to do that one more time. Yes. So what I think has caught everybody flat-footed, and I say everybody, most I'm talking about the people who actually live in and occupy Washington, D.C. most of the time, and I mean our government and the media that, that, circ that circumvents them, goes back to an argument and a point I made with you. Not long ago, when you were talking about um, ladies in particular who get feel justified in a cause, and the first thing they do is they go march up and down some city square or up and down some college campus and take their tops off. Remember that? <laughs> and I said, you're like, you know, make an argument and try and mm -hmm. convince me or say, don't just run to taking your top off. And I said at that time that conservatives do not protest we have a discussion we want to try and convince you why our point makes sense we want to engage in that kind of just back and forth we don't protest we just don't do that we don't do the shock and awe tactics i believe that for the most part the democrats and the leftists and a lot of the republican of um, government officials all of them also believe that well, the right doesn't protest. We don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. So when literally they, you know, opened the curtains and went, what the hell is that? There are 10,000 conservatives out there who are protesting. What do we do? We don't know how to handle this. We've never had to deal with this before. And they're right. They haven't. Not really. Let me also make something very clear that I think a lot of people don't realize the vast majority of people that were there on Wednesday were also marching against the GOP. Yes. So that while is a, very valid. While a lot of those, while most of those people are Republican voters, the vast majority of those people were also marching against their own political party. Mm -hmm. And I think that's extremely important because the, the, the conservatives that were down there on the national mall they're pissed. I'm pissed as a conservative voter. 
I've had politicians tell me for years, vote for us. John McCain, after Obama was elected and they implemented the Affordable Care Act, John McCain got on KFYI AM here in the Valley. He got on that talk show with Barry Young at the time. And he said that he was going to do everything possible to overturn the Affordable Care Act. A couple of years later, John McCain on the floor of the Senate had the opportunity to overturn that bill, a bill that so many conservatives wanted overturned, yes, including myself. Mm -hmm. And after John McCain got on KFYI and said, I'm going to do everything in my power to overturn it. It needs to be overturned. It's a terrible unconstitutional law. We're going to overturn it. He stood on the floor of the Senate and he voted to keep it. Yep. He was one of the handful of senators that, that caused the bill to remain. Four? Okay. Yep. He voted to keep it. We're tired of, the, of those kinds of politicians who, who say one thing and then turn around and stab us in the back. And quite honestly, there are so many conservative voters who sided with the Republicans who are now saying, you know what? I don't have a political party anymore. Right. I'm you sick know, of it. What's what scares me more than anything in, in a, and I don't mean to be an alarmist by any means, but I'm going to say this, you know, this, what was the civil war? What started the cival war? You say slavery. Wow. I'm going to, I'm going to drive down to Phoenix and punch <laughs> you in the States rights. <laughs> Taxation without representation. It was states' rights. Everybody out there listening, keep one thing in mind. There, there's what will absolutely infuriate people to a point of movement. And this is important. There's one thing to be pissed off on your couch and you know yell and scream at the TV or whoever on or the radio and then get upset and then just say, to heck with this, turn it off and go to bed. That's one thing. But what will actually infuriate people to get them up off their couch and out of their house to march to take action is when they feel that they are being stolen from, whether it's in taxation or their rights, which usually that's both, they go hand in hand, and they have no representation for that. When they are giving those things up and have nobody listening or speaking for them on their behalf, that's when that happens. And I understand that that argument's been made about some of our, our rioters who are out there and those groups. Keep in mind that there are at least 70 million people in this country who believe that they are not being represented and heard right now. Here's a, here's a point that I want people to understand. I'm, you know, that as a conservative, so we have in this country, we have conservatives and liberals, whether you call them Democrat or Republican, it makes no difference. If the, if the Democrat party all of a sudden became a conservative party, guess what? I'd be voting for a Democrat. I don't think that's going to happen, but I'm just no, saying as an example. But I got you. I got you. If, if you're a liberal, you, part of the thing that liberals want is they, they see various grievances that exist in the natural world, in the economy, throughout the country. They look at things like, you know, poor education. They look at poverty. They look at homelessness and hunger healthcare. and all of these things. Okay. Healthcare, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And what they want to do is they want those things to be fixed by government. So they turn to the government 
and they say, please fix these things. The, the problem is, or actually the, the hidden truth is, there are a lot of those same issues that conservatives agree with the liberals on. We do think there are problems with yes. poor education and hunger and the environment, et cetera, et cetera. We do. It's how we fix those things is where we disagree. Mm -hmm. So the liberals go to the government and they say, put in these, put in these fixes and fix it for us. Okay. Now, the, the conservatives don't want to do that. Why? Well, as a conservative, you want limited government. You want to be self-ruled. You would prefer to have local government take care of things, not the federal government, etc. But here's the problem. If you're a liberal voter, you're always going to eventually get your way. Why? Because the, because the natural state of government is to grow. It's the natural state. It's always going to grow. In a hundred years, it's going to be a thousand times larger than it is right now. Sure. It's going to continue to grow. That's its natural state. So as a liberal voter, all you got to do is wait because you're eventually going to get the things that you want. As a conservative voter, you're already stacked. The cards are already, the deck is already stacked against you. You want limited government but you want something that goes that is contra to the nature of government itself, which is to grow. You're fighting a losing battle all the time. You're totally fighting a losing battle. And, and I think that that difference between these two sides is something that people do not understand and they do not comprehend and they cannot wrap their heads around it. And now it's to the point, for example, for me as a voter, I'm not going to go out and riot. I would never do that to a fellow American. I would never destroy their property. No. Plus, I just don't have the energy to do it. <laughs> well, that would, that would cause you to actually like go out of your house <laughs> and, and, and be around people. other people. Yeah, I don't want to do that. But if you've read, if, you've, if anybody has read Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, you start to understand why a bunch of people, a bunch of guys, with, had all the ideas, that had all of the skills, that actually made the economy function, why they decided to say, screw it, I'm leaving. Because they recognized that there was nothing that they could do against the government that was growing out of control. And so they basically said, you know what? You all can have it. And I hope it burns. And they left. In fact, there's a character in the book. He's a, an oil magnet. And he his name was Wyatt and he created Wyatt's torch. He lit it on fire. It was this torch that was burning throughout the entire, the, the entirety of the book. It was like this, this sort of like demented Olympic flame that continued to burn that it was basically this constant reminder that it was a big F you to the, it to was the a federal big government. Middle finger to everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I get it. I get why those people said, screw this. I'm out of here. I'm going to go someplace where I'm not going to be bothered by you anymore. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I, I, it's funny. I was thinking about that book just the other day, actually. Um, there was a, a remake of it or a, a video make of it on um, Netflix not long ago. that was actually really done fairly well. Um, I was impressed by it. So, um, again, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be as fair and neutral as I possibly can in looking at, you know, the, the division in the country right now. 
Um, and I really like what you said about the fact that liberal or conservative, most of us care about the exact same things. We really do. I do not want the government to step in and fix it for a handful of different reasons. And the funny part is, I think liberals actually understand these too. So for me, I, I don't want to sacrifice individual liberties for government overreach because that's what happens. I mean, that's that, that you have to sacrifice some part of your personal freedoms for the government to step in. That's, I mean, that's what you're doing. It's, that's part of the give and take. And I think liberals actually understand that. Um, conservatives, you know, I definitely don't want my taxes to increase because I mean, let's be honest, that's that well will run dry. There's only so much I can make and still survive. Um, I don't want that. And I think liberals actually understand that too. Uh, the more government grows, the less I'm able to do. I think liberals understand that too. The overwhelming difference, I think, always comes down to this idea that liberals latch on to, you know, yes, but it's for the greater good. And I find I, this is where I get into it. I said, but who's greater good? Who's greater good? Point them out. And, you know, at some point, when do we become the greater that also gets some of the good back? And I, I believe that there are better means to reach those exact same ends that elevate all of us as a species, not keep us under the thumb of a government that, I mean, like you said before, the, the first job of a politician is to get reelected. Well, if your whole existence in your, in, in your career is as a politician is to make sure that you stay in power, you have to ensure that others below you do not have any power and they are dependent upon you so that you can continue the cycle. Somebody and that's on, dangerous. Somebody on Twitter, they posted this, they tweeted this out and I thought it was very uh, succinct and I think it sums up all of what has been wrong with the United States over the past several months. And this is what she wrote. She, as a matter of fact, and I say that because, you know, we often think, at least in today's culture, we tend to separate women and men and think women have a completely different picture than men do. Um, but this, this, uh, this woman, she actually um, has a lot of same, I would say, beliefs or views like I do. Anyway, you and I, that you and I do. She is a conservative. But this is what, this is what she tweeted out. She said, violence is wrong unless it's violence done for a cause you support. There is no such thing as gender. We need a female president. Discrimination is wrong, unless it's discriminating against those who discriminate. Hate is bad, unless you hate the people you believe hateful. You have to know this particular person. She's not, of, she's not advocating any of that. She's being no. extremely facetious and sarcastic, mm -hmm. but it's true. But all of that is true. Yeah. But all yeah. of that is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. All right. Yep. Well, I, th and, I think, go ahead. And no, but that's the hypocrisy we've talked about over and over and over and over again. Um, it, everything the left has preached thus far. If you believe that, then believe it. And this goes back to what you and I talked about 
and what I believe the foundation of our show is based on. And that's values and principles. If you believe, as an example, you believe hate is wrong. I'm with you. Hate's wrong. Then don't hate, period. End of story. And don't discriminate on that. So do not then come out and justify hate against people that you think are hateful. That does not work. That does not square, as you said. That doesn't add up. It doesn't pass the smell test. That's the exact same across the board. Um, if you believe all people are created equal and we should respect all genders equally, then respect all genders equally. I'm fine with that. I believe you are fine with that. I can speak for you on that regard. We are. Yes. Then do not ask for special consideration for anyone in any case for that. That's equality. We had this whole same thing on the equal for equal sake and equality across the board. And I, I, of course, I, I, I don't want to, I keep, we keep beating the same damn dead horse and I don't want to keep doing it, but um, the hypocrisy of the left knows no bounds. And as long as it's their argument, there is no such thing as circle talk. There is no such thing as a double standard. Well, and I just want people to remember if people are, re are, are petitioning the government for a redress of grievances, if they are peaceably assembling because they have a legitimate gripe against the government, guess what, guys? They're probably not going to be happy and singing Kumbaya while they do it. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not calling for violence, and, I, and I'm not saying that. But when people are out there holding signs and waving flags, and they happen to be a little pissed off, that is not an insurrection, and that is not overthrowing the government. So I think we need to understand that. And yes, and I think that's where liberals and conservatives can agree. We, I think we can absolutely agree that if people are gathering in a large group and they're pissed off, then they might have a legitimate reason. And we at least need to ask and say, do you have a legitimate, what is your grievance? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, is that a legitimate grievance or not? Don't just shut them down. Right. The, the challenge that we have as a society is that you start getting a big group, you start getting a lot of people together into a big group and they're all pissed off, it's very easy for that to become a mob and spiral out of control. So well, while I understand how the violence erupted on both sides, I understand how it got there. I still don't agree with it. Correct. But I understand how it spiraled because mobs are very, very touchy things, but yet we technically have the right to get together in a large group and be pissed off. And what does that yes. lead to? Well, that can lead to a mob if we're not careful. So yes. we have to, it's a very fine line and it's a balancing act that has to be maintained. Yep. And, and if you want to hold the people accountable that went into the Capitol building, I am, I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you hundred percent. Absolutely. But that's, let's be honest. That's what a hundred people out of 10,000. Right. Roughly speaking. And I'm not justifying anything. But yes, you hold that percentage of people accountable that just like the last eight months of people protesting and rioting and burning the freaking night sky up. Same, same. Well, there was a, there was a, a girl, she was like 17, 16 years old, something like that in high school. Um, she turned in, turned in, um, she turned in her, her, her aunt her uncle and I think her mom, because they went to they went to the National Mall. Mm -hmm. They were there. 
They did not breach the Capitol building. In fact, it turned out that they weren't even near the Capitol building. They were like somewhere over by like the Washington Monument, a mile and a half away. <laughs> but they were there. But because this young girl, this young woman is a liberal, she turned her family over to these other liberals who are frothing out the mouth, who want everybody to lose their jobs. And I think, I think her uncle ended up losing his job over it. There was another story of a, of, a, of a lawyer who was also at the Capitol, took a picture. It got posted on social, on social media. He never breached the Capitol building again, but he was down at the National Mall with tens of thousands of other people. And guess what? He lost his job. This is where we're, this is, we're mixing all of this together with cancel culture yeah. and it's absolutely destructive. Well, and, and you saw what happened, or did you not, with um, uh, Parler after this? Oh, yeah. That's a whole other conversation, though. We're going to okay. have that one. Okay. We're, well, we're going to have that one because I want to get into some of this religion talk. Oh, okay, um, yeah. But but before we do that, I want to show... <laughs> I do have a slight palate cleanser, and I think we kind of need a palate cleanser after... Okay, all right. After all of, uh, after all of that. Um, there's no sound on this, so at least I don't have to worry about sound. Oh, well, but, that's uh, good. One less thing. Yeah, I thought I thought this one was was pretty funny. So uh, check this out. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> oh. Oh my God! So for anybody out there on audio only, <laughs> let me try and and reiterate what we just saw. <laughs> we have a, a TikTok video of a uh, uh uh oh my God! Okay, a very okay. well endowed female young uh, young woman. Thank you. Um, who was zipping up like a sweater? A little like, like jogging guess, vest or jogging, like a jogging sweater, jacket, or, you yeah. know, whatever those things are called, and literally like pushing her. Well, she was pushing her boobs out and making the zipper go down, and so it like you know open. She would back zip up. it up, and then her you know she push and zip, zip, unzip, zip, unzip, and she had an undershirt on, so yeah, it's not she wasn't like naked. You know, no, nothing <laughs> like that. And then it it flashes over to a, a younger. Um, not well endowed gal um, who zips up kind of one of those marshmallow puffy jackets and like pushes and nothing happens and she just gives a big thumb up thumbs up to the camera <laughs> <laughs> one problem that that young lady does not have to worry about take yeah. that big boob ladies <laughs> <Don't>. <laughs> I got a chuckle out of that. Come on, it's funny. That was funny. That was funny. They're gonna. There will be people who probably not in our audience, but there will be people who who would see that and become offended. Offended? Why? Because I don't know. Well, Sexualization. Not all women. Not all women have have breasts. I don't know. I don't know, dude. Was there a racial? There wasn't a racial. That well, the one the, was, the Asian girl was the second one. Oh. There was okay. a racial yep, component. Yep. Oh, there was. Dang. See. Yeah. So this this uh, reiterates my point about being offended. And the first and the first the first uh, woman is oh, is white. 
So there is a racial Are you sure? component. I don't know. Those eyebrows didn't look. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, honestly, anybody who wants to get offended will will find a reason to get offended oh, yeah, at yeah. someone somewhere somehow. So I think everybody should embrace my approach, which is just know you're going to offend Come most on. everybody and let it roll. It was created and it was created and fun. Obviously, the and it was created by that that uh, young Oriental, the little girl, a, a Asian, young Asian, okay. Asian woman. Okay, I don't even know what's correct. I don't know. I just said Oriental, and there are people that will probably like crucify me for that. I I don't know the appropriate term. It's twenty twenty one. I didn't even know until recently that African American was now bad. I, I, I is it? I don't. Yeah. Know. No, I think I I honestly believe that I I think now we're back to black. That's a that's the appropriate. All I know is there are some people that insist on putting an X at the end of Latin of Latin. So it's Latin X. Latin X. Hate that. Here's the only people I know that never use that are Hispanics. Or, yeah. <laughs> we we hate it. <laughs> They're like, that is so stupid. It's like white people knock it off. Yes. Seriously. Quit trying to be offended for us. Don't do that. Yeah. It's em- dumb. Embrace Jasonism. Right. I'm telling you, it's much right. more liberating. Right. My grandfather used to say, my grandfather used to say, he said, I'm not racist. I hate everybody equally. I think I used to say, I'm not racist. I have a color TV. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And there we go. See, I just offended a whole bunch of people and (laughs) I'm good with it. (laughs) Oh, shit. We lost Dr. Ramirez. He's <laughs> he, he's lost in his handkerchief. <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about religion here. I think that would be a good thing to talk about right now. <laughs> Politics and religion. Let's just one show. Let's just jump right on just in there. Do that. The two, two things feet. we're not allowed to talk about any well, you know in other places. Yeah. We're just gonna dive right on a, into it. Yeah. Well, we only well, have two people listening to the show anyway, so that's right. It's just you and me. Wow. You <laughs> <laughs> can't make fun of anybody else. Make fun of yourself. At least you're in good company. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so the reason the reason why I'm I'm bringing this up, I recently read the book called Big Gods: How Religion Transformed Cooperation and Conflict. Um. And it's quite, it's quite fascinating. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because I think religion gets a bad rap. Um, yeah. I think far too many people are, um, they're very much anti-religion for whatever reason. Yeah, um, they're spiritual, remember? Right. There's, <laughs> yes, they're spiritual <laughs> instead. Spirit, yes, I'm spiritual. Yes. I'm spiritual. Right. I'm spiritual. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there are a lot of people in this country now that are, uh, anti-religion and those numbers continue to increase year by year, whatever. Um, and when you often talk to people who are not religious, they, they tend to, they tend to talk in these large sweeping generalities. You know, they, they refer to like the sky wizard. I've heard that, you know, sort of pejorative ush- uttered before, you know, stop believing in the sky wizard, um, stop believing in fantasy, right? 
there's no point. And my point being is they, they tend to focus so much on the supernatural aspect that may or may not reside with, with a religion. But I think that's the wrong, that's the wrong way to look at religion. Why is that? Because of the virtues that religion has brought to society and allowing society to adapt over time. And without religion, there's no way that all of this would be here. There's, there's okay. just, it's, there's no way that it would be here. Um, and this book, um, I'm, I don't even want to say his name, Ara Noren Zion. That sounds right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he's he put together just just a a ton of really good it's very it's a very well researched book what i like about the book is he doesn't go into it trying to uh, prove his point he he asks legitimate questions up front and then through the research um comes to a conclusion allows the research to reach a conclusion rather than some some writers like this at this you know these that write these scholarly books they have a conclusion and then they go and get a bunch of uh, proof that just backs up their conclusion and they only show one side of the coin. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and this is not something that, uh, that this uh, gentleman did, but one of the things that he talks about, which is a running theme through the entire book is that religion was an adaptive mechanism because as humans started banding together we realized that we realized from a very early on that we can't do everything ourselves that we need other people to be successful mm -hmm. and when we were roaming around in small tribes okay that was it was very easy to to adapt and to survive because you had to you only had to rely on a very small group of people um and the religions at the time when there were small tribes, there's this big misnomer that people used those religions, those early tribal religions as a way to describe their surroundings. That's not really true. What we're learning is it's, it's not a, just a way of just describing something that's because we didn't have science at the time. What people don't understand is that through a lot of those belief systems, that's how they inculcated the rules of their small tribal society. They were able to communicate how you behave and how you're not to behave mm -hmm. through the use of those stories. And in fact, many of those early tribes, those tribal religions, they didn't have belief systems like heaven or hell or anything like that. They were, they were for all intents and purposes, amoral religions. They were literally uh, belief systems about you know, having to go hunt or having to gather and things of that nature. But it wasn't until until tribes started banding together and starting to grow that they needed a way for, let's say, one side to be able to trust another side. So if I have, I'm now growing a bunch of wheat or corn or something like that, and I want to take it to the market, well, they didn't always have just dollars, right? So there was a lot of bartering that was taking place and wheeling and dealing and such. And so if I'm going to enter into a, a transaction with somebody, with you, I need to be able to trust you now and in the future. And religion was a way to do that. Because if you had the same religion that I did, 
then I know that I know that you have those same beliefs and therefore you are constrained. You have the same moral constraints that I do. So now I understand something about you. Now I can trust you and we can now do business with one another. And because of that, societies, these small tribes were able to grow and create smaller and then various larger societies over time. So what are your thoughts? No, and, and I've, I've heard similar stories, especially on some of the old uh, uh, deity um, in their, their utilization. Like I remember there was a book I was reading, a, and I think it was excerpts out of one of my um, religion classes, actually, that I took in college, um, talking about different tribes within an area. You had the tribe of the, and these are all animal-based. So um, you had a tribe of the bear, and then a tribe of the wolf, and tribe of the, you know what I mean? So you've got all of these, I guess, different spirit animals that that all of these tribes um, kind of operated under those auspices, And then there was no way for them to connect necessarily. And then somebody had the idea of bringing everybody under the spirit of, uh, was essentially mother earth, ideally uh, is, is what it was called. And I can't remember the exact name for it. So I apologize, but it was a way for all of them to now see their own vital role in working together as a larger community in service to something higher. And all of a sudden these tribes, which were, I guess, kind of at odds now had commonality and they started to cohabitate and work together. Um, and that still exists today, whether we, we want to recognize it or whether we choose to recognize it or not. But if, um, you know, if, if you're going into, let's just say you start a new job and you're, you're working with people, you're starting to getting to, to know coworkers and you hear someone else is also, a Catholic that you are, you're like, Oh, okay. At least I can know I can go talk to Sarah, let's just say, and, and she's Catholic and I'm Catholic and we have something that can at least start conversation and I can start to kind of network a little bit. We do that. Now we don't like to say it's because of our religious affinity that that happens, but immediately it creates a common ground, a neutral playing field that we can actually meet those people on the same plane of existence and have a neutral and trust-based conversation. And we already know theoretically how that person should react, so to speak, to us, because we understand the, the foundation or the morals and principles behind who they are as a person. And it allows us to immediately walk through an open door with that person. Did you ever watch the movie Snatch? Yes. Great movie. Amazing right? movie. Yeah. there's this there's this the story of snatch takes place amongst or in front of the backdrop of of um diamonds right in antwerp and i don't know if you know if you remember that movie but the the diamond jewelers or the diamond dealers i should say are jewish mm -hmm. okay and when you look at the diamond industry, a lot of the diamond industry, for example, is run by Jewish people, Jewish families and so forth. The thing about that is because so many different people, you have the people that are, you know, transporting diamonds, then you have jewel cutters, people that cut the gems, 
You have people that appraise the value of the gems. Now, can you imagine you, let's say you bring to me some diamonds that you've procured mm -hmm. and you want me to place a value on them. And so I'm going to appraise those diamonds for you because that's what I do. Mm -hmm. And maybe you do something, you're just the, the distributor, but you want to know how much diamond value you have. There's a tremendous amount of trust that we have to have. You have to trust me to be able to give you, to be able to appraise them at a, at a price that is, is appropriate for the diamonds that you brought me. Right. Right. So because, because a lot of the people in the diamond industry are Jewish, they have that commonality, that common bond of religion. And what it has done, what that has done for them is that has actually reduced the transaction costs associated with doing business. Other companies have tried to come into those, uh, into the diamond business in certain areas. They cannot meet the low transaction costs that the Jewish merchants are able to, I don't want to say get away with, but are privileged to benefit from it is really right. the better way of saying it right. because the company has to, the companies have to deal with all of these other merchants within the Jew, within the, the diamond trade. And they have to implement all of these extra rules and checks and balances and everything to protect their money. And the transaction costs go sky high. So the Jewish dealers are able to deal with lower transaction costs. Therefore, the final costs of the diamonds to the consumer are far lower than the diamonds that other companies and, and things are able to offer because of the high transaction costs to ensure trust. That's a, that's a very modern day example of how religion today continues to constrain moral behavior in, in different groups of people that may or may not even be part of the same family or even part of the same local community. Right. Well, and, and we talked, we've talked over and over about morals and values um, or values and principles rather, excuse me, but I mean, so let's take re religion out for just a moment. But if if you go to someone that you know and trust right now, you think about who that person is. Why do you trust that person? Now, I'm going to pick on you. I trust you, Lucy. I mean, if I were to die tomorrow and I need somebody to come in and, you know, take over and care for my household, I trust you. I know you will do that. But why? So you think about those people in your life that you trust. Why do you trust them? At some point in your relationship with that person, you have gotten a firm grasp of who they are, not just who they are as an individual, but what their true moral values and principles are, who they are as an internal valued person. And you theoretically know from those interactions how that person will act that's what trust is it's it's really knowing kind of how or how someone is going to act in any given situation because when you say i'm going to work with so and so i trust them what you're saying is i know that they're going to give me something or do something in this way, you're actually predicting their future when it comes to you. So 
you have an intricate knowledge of that person and you're talking about who they are in their internal moral character. And really when we've, when we've talked about religion before, and even where I think you're going now, religion speaks to those people who believe in any religion or follow any religion. Ideally, those parishioners are bound to that religion based on their moral values and principles and their moral character. So that's where that trust comes from. <clears throat> yes. And they actually, you know, research shows that we've, we've seen this in the ancient world, even throughout, you know, modern day, you know, Iraq, Iran, Turkey, and everything like that. There was a lot of trade that was going around in that, in that area. And when you had Jews and Christians and Muslims that were all interacting, even though they were of different religions, the fact that they were interacting with people that were religious, they were able, other merchants were able to understand how the other person was morally constrained by their behavior and was more apt to trust them. Mm -hmm. And all of that trade happened for a very long time with very little government involvement. There were no mm -hmm. policing or anything like that that had to, that had to uh, take effect because, th and this is actually really interesting. And this got me thinking and, you know, over the weekend as I was going back through and rereading some of my notes in here, um, there were a lot, there have been a lot of studies that have been done to sort of test people's behavior after being exposed to concepts of a higher God. And they gave people, and this experiment has been, has been replicated multiple times. So this isn't just, I mean, we can pretty much take this as, you know, on a face value because it's been replicated so many times with the same results. When you take a group of people and you give them, let's say $50 or $20, $10, whatever, you give them some dollar amount. And then you tell them you can give any portion of this money to somebody else. Okay. If you expose those people to God, to the concept of a divine power, particularly a divine power that watches over you, that judges you, all this kind of thing. Santa Claus, for lack of a better term, right? Because he knows when you've been sure. naughty and nice and right? right. All that kind of good stuff. Rewards so, at the end of the year or, or exactly. lack thereof. Yep. Uh-huh. So when you, when you give somebody in these experiments, when you give somebody some money, but you expose them to a higher power, people are more apt to give more of that money away. Then mm -hmm. if you just gave them the money and did not expose them to a divine power and then told them they can give the money away, in those situations, people kept the majority of the money rather right. than giving it out. Inspiration of charity happens out of divine influence. And so when thinking about the, the you know, the the act, the activities that happen or the actions that happen on Wednesday. And I was also, I was thinking about this over the weekend. I was thinking about like Martin Luther King who went down to the national mall, right. And was speaking about something very uh, important at the time with, with regard to civil rights and race issues at the time. Right. He did that down at the, at the national mall. There were no riots or anything that erupted from there. And I think, and I was thinking about this, I think a lot of why Martin Luther King was very successful is because he didn't just say God once at the beginning of his speech and move on. 
he always found a way to weave in the div the divine the concept of the divine through his entire speech and everything that he was doing plus he was a reverend everybody knew he was a reverend it was on everybody's mind and i think part of that i can't say this with any with any certitude but i think there was a lot of um sort of reining in of people's behavior because he was very vocal about his religion and about divine inspiration and divine power i think that had a lot of a lot to do with kind of restraining people because they didn't get all riled up and go riot. He wasn't, sure. he wasn't inciting them. He was telling them to be peaceful and be calm and all this kind of stuff, but telling them to follow Christ, telling them to follow God and do what God's will and all that constantly. And I think that kind of kept people rein back. And I think that's why a lot of his marches did not devolve into violence. Well, and, and that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I mean, I would, um, I would remind or argue that there are a lot of um, reverends out there, even now, who um, use their pulpit and actually preach the opposite. So I do believe the message is 100% important. I don't believe that with the white collar comes immediate adherence. However, that oh, being yeah. said... No, Al Sharpton <laughs> is a perfect example. He had a, he had a Jew that was killed on a march that he gave... And his followers literally screamed, kill the Jew while they beat him and stabbed him to death. Yep. But please continue. No, no. So, so yes, you are right. Um, uh, that's, that's an example. I wasn't going to name people by name, but that's okay. I'll leave it to you to do that. Um, I, so I think religion has that ability to bring people together for the cause. And the message is absolutely important. And that being said, I'm not saying it's it's really about a religion in particular, but even just the idea of being religious. You know, you talked about um, money changing hands and throughout history. It's a, um, I'm going to use the example of the, the Knights Templar, which everyone has heard probably stories here and there about, but the Knights Templar were all very religious. I mean by de that's that's exactly what they were you had to be religious to be part of that that um, organization and they were considered one of the wealthiest religious affiliated groups at the time not because they had individual wealth but they were trusted and went freely through various different countries talking to various different nationalities of people um, kings, um, diadems, potentates, etc., all throughout the region, and were able to change money, where many other people were not trusted with that luxury. So the Knights Templar were able to travel freely through all of these areas because they were trusted. They were not expected to create any kind of uprising. They did not pose a threat. They were able to offer various goods and services to people and change money from all over the, the essentially that part of the world. Because, and they were trusted because of their religious and righteous affiliation to a God, not a God in particular per se, but to a higher power. They serve that higher moral code. Again, it's talking about that moral character that religion in one way, shape, or another affords. Um, 
And ultimately, that's why they were thought to be the greatest threat by the Catholic Church. Even they didn't have that amongst many others. But um, so religion does have that ability. The message is overwhelmingly important. Bad message in a really good religion can corrupt from within. Not saying that it can't. But religion as a whole shouldn't be condemned by bad messages either. There's a... There is a there's a prevailing belief by a lot of people, particularly the anti-religious, who say that religion has been the cause of many wars um, throughout history. Um, research shows that to be untrue. Shows the opposite to be true. Okay. Um, and this was something that that uh, was presented in this particular book, this big God's book. Um, several scholars did some really large studies of conflicts throughout history. One study was done. It had something like 1800 different conflicts. The other study was something like it was like over 5,000 different conflicts throughout history. And in both of those studies, the researchers surprisingly found that the reason for the, the reason for the conflict to begin in the first place Almost, I think it was like less than 10% in either of these two studies. Religion was religion, less than 10% had religion uh, as a primary factor. Now there, that's not to say that, re, that people weren't using religion as an excuse, sure. but it was not religious ideology that started the war. Mm-hmm. That started the particular conflict. So the vast majority, like 90% of most conflicts throughout history were not started because of religion. And, and I believe that. Yeah. And, and, I, I, and I think that. that was very fascinating. I mean, I didn't realize that at the time until I read this book. But, it, you know, it, it goes to, when, especially when you have free trade. Why do I want to go to war with you? If I get my, if I pay my bills and I feed my family by doing business with you. Right. And, and so by you having your religion, me having my religion and we understanding each other's constraints and we understand where each person is coming from, we're now able to trust one another. I don't need to go to war with you. And that's what, that's what we actually, that's what we've seen throughout history is the vast number of conflicts in the world were not because of religion. Although once really, and once war has broken out, people, people tended to societies tended to use religion as sort of a reason to do it, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the reason why they came, why they started going to blows to begin with. So I think that was, that's really important. You were going to say something. Well, and religion is always one of those things that it seems like, uh, we shy away from discussing it so much because there's almost this underlying fear that there's there's possibly going to be talk of conversion and and we talked before about the people who are who, who say that they're not religious they're spiritual you know when you want to discuss okay well why is that let's talk i'm curious they don't want to talk about it or they want to immediately talk about why your religion is wrong and you need to, to come to this side of the argument. Well, that's not what I was wanting to do. I just wanted to have a conversation with you. So there's, there's that, but also there's that idea that when you've got somebody who's devout in their beliefs, there seems to be, that's, 
they are unerring in their fealty to that. And I believe that that creates a false sense of, of unreasonableness. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you're Jewish and I'm um, Hindu, we're never going to be able to agree because we believe different things so vehemently that there's just no point in even having a conversation. When actually, if you sit down and we start talking, you'd be amazed at how many similarities we may have. Right. Whether religion is brought up or not, right. we are still human beings on this planet. And we still, I don't care what religion you're out there, you're, you still value most of the same things at hand. The ability to care for yourself and family, to further your own family name or legacy, um, to, to parent children and bring them up, etc. You know, a lot of these things transcend religious ideas. They transcend your nationality. They transcend gender. They, as a species of this planet, we share so much in common that why not be able to have conversation and talk with one another? I think religion, because it can point out differences in things we believe, we shy away from it. Um, and on the contrary, on the flip side, like what we were saying, when we do align and we have similarities in those, we immediately begin, we bring those people in very close to us because it's like, oh my gosh, there's another one of me out there. It's you. Right. <laughs> I didn't know I existed outside of me, but here you are. You know, right. and so it, it creates that immediate bond. And there, there was um, what's also interesting is, is when it comes to religion, the religions that had, or I should say, communities and states that had religions with a high belief in, we'll just say, hell. Okay, condemnation uh, in the afterlife. That those societies, when they believed in going to hell and your soul being flayed and tortured for all eternity, they actually had the lowest crime rates. So people often think uh, erroneously that, that religion, you have to believe in, in heaven. And if you give somebody, if you have a heaven, then people are going to do well. So they get to heaven. In fact, the reverse is, all, is actually true. Heaven, having those concepts of like life everlasting, living in paradise, etc is a great tool to recruit people to your religion. But once you're in the religion, having that high belief that in, in negative consequences in the afterlife for things that you do on this planet is the main reason why people toe the line, why people curb their behavior. Um, and, and as I mentioned before, that the nations with the highest levels of belief in hell and the lowest levels of belief in heaven had the lowest crime rates. So I think that's something really interesting too. And taking that a step further, I know this is kind of parodied in uh, uh, the Holy Grail, the movie, the Holy Grail, Nash, uh, um, <laughs> Monty Python, Monty Python. Thank you. Remember they, there's that scene where they, they say they, they have the witch, right. And they want to throw her into the, into the lake. And if she, if she floats, then she's made of wood, and then therefore and she's, she's a witch, she's, and she's burner or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, she'll she'll weigh as much as a duck. Yeah, and <laughs> that's how you can tell. And then she's a witch burner. Yeah, yeah. In fact, communities that actually had those rules, those kind of crazy rules, mm -hmm. right? They actually 
did the, they actually did benefit those com- those communities and in fact research shows that when when those communities had those crazy kind of like you know we're going to we're going to light you on fire and if you know if you're telling the truth then god will intervene and protect you and if you're not telling the truth then you're going to burn in fact having those kinds of crazy ways of 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 a judicial process for lack of a better term actually caused people to um, to admit when they were when they were lying or when they were they had committed the crime um, and the reason for that is because if even though let's say I committed a crime I stole from you and I'm on trial now and I but I believe in this religion that we have my belief then is go, if you're going to set me on fire my belief then is well God's going to allow me to burn and, and so I don't want that. So it's in my best interest to come clean so that I don't get burned at the stake. Whereas if I didn't commit the crime, if I was completely innocent of the crime, then the belief is, well, God is going to intervene. So yes, please burn me at the stake. Please do it because I will be saved. And because of that kind of twisted logic, that kind of rule allowed societies to actually progress and adapt and weed out those who were doing wrong within the society itself. Thoughts on that? What, what, um, well, (laughs) so, okay. First and foremost, um, I think it takes a very a, a person who is very strong in their faith, knowing their innocence, to say yes, burn me at the stake. Whether they and and if they really didn't do it, and still say that, I I believe that fear um, can override your faith if you are not strong in that. So I'm not saying I wholeheartedly believe that we should be burning people at the stake (laughs) for petty theft. Now I I understand where you're going, but I, but I do get the premise as far as the logic. Um, And it's an interesting takeaway about religion, I think, and, and how societies evolved over time. That's why. Well, and, and on a psychology note, there fear is a much greater influencer than um joy when we're in the moment of joy where we enjoy that we can wrap ourselves in it it's very warming and comforting but fear can immediately take us out of joy even if it is unrational fear fear of something else happening can completely overrun that and this is something that um, actually religion talks about quite a bit that um, fear and doubt are the enemy's influence on the the parishioners in their in their um, travels in a good light. So I understand from that, from a psychology or a psychological aspect, why um, fear of punishment in either the 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 mortal life or the afterlife can be a much higher motivator for regulating conduct or behavior rather than the promise of joy afterwards so and that's just from human nature um if you if i say all right if you eat this candy bar now you can you'll like it and it'll be great but i'm gonna slap you across the face 
twice. <laughs> well, you might think better of it and go, that sounds like a really good candy bar, but I don't think I want that. The likelihood is most people would say, no, thank you. Um, there's only a handful that might say, yeah, okay, I'll take it. That's fine. It's worth the punishment. Um, and so it's, it's that idea. I think that actually, yes, I could see how that could regulate behavior in society, whether it's, and even still does now. I mean, there's, there's probably, if you think about it, you obey, I don't know, probably a good 50 or 60 written laws going from your house to work on a daily basis, whether they're traffic laws or, I mean, who knows, just not going out and shooting somebody. Is that your moral character that tells you no? Or is it the fear of what would be what would happen to you, the punishment of that, that keeps you from doing those things? Do you go 100 miles an hour in your, uh, in your neighborhood when you go to the grocery store? No, you probably don't. Why is no. that? Because, well, that's just absolutely unreasonable and, and that goes against my moral character. That's probably not it. You probably know that's wrong, but God forbid if, what would the repercussions be? What would, what could potentially bad happen? What's the fear you could, you know, a cop pull you over, you get a ticket, you get, you lose your license, you go to jail, you run somebody over, you hit a kid. You know what I mean? Though the fear of those things most likely regulate your conduct without you even consciously being aware of it. What's interesting about this though is that most secular societies have very low well obviously they're secular so they don't have a lot of religion belief among the people but there is a high trust in government but also what's found in research is that when people do not trust their government there's a high degree of belief in religion among the people. So it does appear that government sort of replaces rather than it replaces that religion over time. So society grows because of religion. And then as we start adding laws and everything to govern people, we have less and less of a need of religion from a, just a, an adaptive process. Mm -hmm. And the government becomes rather than the big sky wizard watching over us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We now have big brother watching us 24 right. hours a day, seven days a week. Right. Um, well, we, we literally replace it. And we've talked about how people on the left tend to look at government as their religion. It's the new religion. Uh, that's, that's what's happening now. And, yeah. and I mean, it's been happening and we're removing religion from our, our society and our way of life and we we're taking every influence of god that we can out with this this idea of separation of church and state has gone way beyond what was ever intended and it, we could have a whole episode just on what was actually written and intended by that versus what it's being used as now it's disgusting um and when you're talking about you just mentioned it earlier in the show tonight that the capitol building is essentially the temple for Americans, it's this is this is what's going on, and so yes, we're not looking to any kind of religious deity or anything to set out a boundary line of our conduct or any moral code of fabric within society. We are looking for government now to step into that 
and replace our religious beliefs entirely with their own set of boundaries and, and moral conduct. And that entity, unlike the deity, that entity continues to grow and take more. It's very demanding. Constant sacrifice, as in the Old Testament, must be made to the new deity of America, which is the government. And that sacrifice comes in the form of freedoms and taxes. But think about this. Think about this part. This is actually kind of interesting. I, I, I find it a little interesting is, you know, government grows by leaps and bounds every year. Okay. It's always growing. Um, and yet religions don't grow all that much in terms of their amount of doctrine. When I say government growing, I'm really talking about the number of laws that are on the books. Yeah. Right. Every year, the government, I can't even remember how many, on average, it's like 250 or I don't remember. Additional laws are added every single year. And I think that's just at the federal level. Mm -hmm. So the government continues to grow, continues to add laws. But religion, for the most part, doesn't add new doctrine every year. If you're a Christian, essentially- It hasn't really got, changed. You've got 10. You know them. or uh, <laughs> And- They've been that way for a long time. And, and the Catholic Church hasn't really changed since Vatican II, and that was a very long time ago. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, the yeah, whether you were Taoist or Buddhist or Muslim or Christian, and, you know, even all the different denominations of Christianity, Catholic, you know, Catholics or Lutheran or whatever, right? The doctrine doesn't change that much. There aren't new rules. Even when there's a brand new Pope, the Pope doesn't come in and put in a bunch of new rules. He might put in a couple of, a couple of rules here and there, but they usually have nothing to do with the, the, the vast majority of the, of religious practice. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, the, the Pope comes out and says, don't use condoms. You can't use condoms. Okay. It's not like he's saying, you know, it's not like he's saying give 50% of your paycheck to the church now, you know, he's not right. increasing, you know, the tithe rates and making all that mandatory and all that kind of craziness. Um, and yet a moral society has less need of those rules. Mm -hmm. So if, if society was, was more, more moral than it is now, because we were practicing religion and all this sort of thing, if we were more moral, we wouldn't have an we wouldn't have a, a need for a constantly growing and expanding government to watch over us. Well, <laughs> you also got to look at uh, so okay, you you, you made a, a very cool, I dig it, very cool correlation between the laws of government and the laws of uh we'll say the Bible. Okay, well, in the Bible, when Moses came down with the, the commandments from God, the laws that were written out, there was 10 of them. Okay. How many laws have been written? Let's just take one. Pick one. Thou shalt not steal. Okay. That's a good one. How many laws has our government written really expounding upon that one? <laughs> Do we really need 5,000 different laws explaining where and how and what that means and when you can and can't and all that no if you just say you don't steal period that's it 
you could probably sum up about 5,364 different laws in one if we just simplified it. But you have people whose whole lives, that's all they that's all their existence is based on is making more laws to govern our conduct instead of just getting out of the way. But that's not the purpose of government. So if you actually look at all the laws in the books, you're right. We add 300 new laws and probably I would bet 298 of them are at least version 2.8659 of one of those 10 yeah. somewhere in there. I'm probably not the first one because they don't like that one anyway because it detracts from the worship of the government instead of the worship of God. But that being said, um, I think back to your point or trying to get back to your point, I think religion actually has much more influence on our daily lives than we'd like to or we let on or like to believe it does. But it's a very subtle one, and we are constantly looking for something because we are a very hands-on society. We want something that we can touch and feel and interact with. Religion doesn't necessarily provide that. Not at face value. It's something that you have to be involved in and actually in order to obtain that. <laughs> Government, you, you see that every paycheck you get to touch, they get to touch you and you get to touch them right back. <laughs> um, every time you drive down the street, you see some sort, you see about 10,000 rules, no left turn on red, you know, or no right turn on red, you know, left turn on green arrow, you know, you stop at three different stoplights. There you go. Those are more rules. I mean, there's, that's constant governing of our conduct by something other than religion. Which, let's be honest, if we didn't have stoplights, could we get around? Yeah, we probably could. Do we necessarily need that? Well, does it make traffic more efficient? Probably. Well, you, you know, religion had a lot of rules too. You know, if you look at, at, at the Jewish religion and, and Islam, for example, has a lot of rules as well. I know the LDS have a lot of rules, little, like a lot of these little rules, you know, you can't drink caffeine or you can't drink alcohol. Sure. Um, you know, with the, uh, with the Jew, Jewish religion, we know all the things about kosher, right? Whether things are kosher or not kosher. And um, with, with Islam, it's halal or not halal. I may have gotten that word wrong, um, but they had a lot of those different types of rules. Why do those rules exist? Well, th those rules existed because you know, when you go back a few centuries, things were, if, if things were dirty, it meant there, it was festered with festering with illness, sickness, disease, etc. So you had to avoid certain types of meat or the way that the, there were all like with kosher, right? It's all about how the meal is, is prepared, how the meat was prepared, how the vegetables are prepared, etc. Because if you didn't prepare them a certain way, then your chances of getting sick or getting a disease went through the roof. Yeah. You could right? die. <laughs> you could, you could die. So they had all these rules in place that became, well, is it kosher or not? That's how they mm -hmm. summarized it. Right. But it was really there to protect your health. What are we doing? What, do, what have we been saying all of 2020? Wash your hands, cover your yeah. mouth, mm -hmm. right? Wear a mask. Don't sneeze on people. Um, you know, use hand sanitizer. We've been creating all of these little social rules, but doing it at the purview of government. And yet religion has been satisfying that exact same 
that exact same purpose for hundreds, thousands of years. Yep. Yeah. I, you know, my, my rules for life are actually pretty simple. Eat well, sleep good, wipe your butt and wash your hands. <laughs> well, they always say, right. Is the adage of uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. There you go. I mean, I mean <laughs> there, there's truth there, right? I mean, yeah. the, the, and yeah, there are going to be the, you know, the atheists or the agnostics that will say, well, you know, you're just full of shit. But yeah, yeah, these are the same people running out there saying, wear a mask and getting pissed off when nobody's wearing a mask and getting pissed off because nobody's washing their hands and they're telling, wash your hands, wash your hands. Well, right. Cleanliness is next to godliness. How about you get out of my face and let those of us just be moral people? Mm -hmm. And go away. Quit bugging yeah. me. Quit. Leave me alone. And and out of mutual respect, I will do the same for you. Yes. So please crawl back under the rock once you emerged, and we'll all be happy and continue to to. Yeah. Yeah. Move on. So. All right. Well, all good right. talk. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> you sounded disappointed there. No. <laughs> Uh, as always, you can get all of our stuff at fusionunderground.net. Um, we are on Twitter. I don't know how long that's going to last given uh, the whole Twitter parlor fiasco. Conservatives are being banned left and right. Yeah. We'll talk about maybe we'll talk about that, in, you know, maybe next week or unless we have our special guest. Hopefully so. Hopefully we'll so. See. We'll I see mean, what yeah. happens. Um, but yeah, well, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, especially in the next, especially well, for the rest of the year, we've got, I think we've got a ton of stuff to be talking about. We do. Yeah. At least um, through the end of this year. Yeah. But just <laughs> check out our webpage, uh, fusionunderground.net. Send us an email contact at fusionunderground.net. All right. Well, it's yeah. been a good one for Jason Moret. I'm Manuel Ramirez. You've been listening to the fusion underground. Peace. Peace. <laughs>